welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. On this episode, myself and Dave talk about learning styles, how you might be able to identify the ones that best suit you and use them to give a varied structure to your study schedule. If you would like to join a future session, we record them in front of a live Zoom audience and you can register for them. There'll be a link in your show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Borman, and I'm joined this evening on a Wednesday at six o'clock with my good friend, David Malthouse. Hello, Dave. Evening, Ben. And how are you this week? Good. I am. I am tired, but I'm living off the energy of teaching students, something that's kept me going now for many, many years and many, many new terms. I've been teaching all week. It's one of those weeks, Dave, that I'm really reflecting on how in our job we get to see both ends of the student's journey. So, so far this week, I've been teaching a group of final advanced stage students going to be sitting their final strategic business management exams in November. And then tomorrow and Friday, I'm going to be teaching students that are literally just starting on their introduction to accounting course right at the start of their professional studies. And I love the fact we get to teach students at both ends of that journey. Um, How have you been getting on this week, Dave? Um, Yeah, good. We had, or I taught the the first ever class in our Southend Centre yesterday. So it was the the first ever class um, in Southend. It was also the first ever time that I've taught the um, the new AAT syllabus as well. So I was teaching the new um, applied management accounting paper, which is the, the beast of a paper at level four. Um, so yeah, really, really nice to see a, a new group of students in a, a brand new location. Um, and yeah, really, really good fun. T- took me back to the days when I first set up the, um, the, the centre in Chelmsford um, kind of 12 years ago, where when we first started teaching, I didn't know any of the students because they'd never been to a class before. Um, and, and again, I was, I was meeting a brand new class that I'd never met any of them before, never taught any of them before. And it's, yeah, really, really lovely. So, yeah, good week so far. Excellent. Lovely stuff. So this evening we picked a topic for the podcast, as we always do. At this time of the year, particularly, we've got lots of students starting or picking up their studies, maybe having a bit of a gap from any formal study for a while. And so something I've been asked to talk about and something we are considering as tutors, considering as people that are advising student structure in their study, is to be aware of different learning styles. Dave, what, what's your awareness of learning styles? You've delivered many classroom sessions before. Well, I guess my, I, I, I've talked about it before, I've got kind of my, my own, I guess, voyage of discovery when it comes to, to learning styles in the learning styles that work for me and the learning styles that don't work for me. Um, and I, I've talked before that at school, um, I was always really, really good at things like maths and science and the things that I, I always, you know, I, I picked things up really, really quickly, learned them quickly. And I really responded well to people showing me how to do something like a how to solve an equation in maths and then I practice doing that thing and if I practice doing that thing a couple of times I'd learnt it and, and it was really that that worked per- really really well for me it's like show me how to do it I'll do it once I'll do it twice I've learnt it and and 
you know, I learned brilliantly and I, I did really, really well in maths and, and sciences um, at GCSE and then into A-level. I then went to university to, um, to study maths and I was rubbish at it. And, and part of it I put down to um, the, the way that I was taught was very different. And if people have been to university, you very much go to your lecture and someone lectures at you for an hour and they tell you, this is all the math stuff that I want to tell you about. And then you're expected to go to the library and do some more research, and then you're gonna do an exam on it. And it's gonna sound really odd, but when I was sent to the library and I'd pick up the book that would be recommended, I would just read the book and I'd read the chapter that I was supposed to read. I get to the end of it and think, I don't know what that says. And I'd go back and I'd read it again. And I could read all the words and understand all the words, but it didn't help me to learn what I needed to do. And, it's, and it sounded really strange when I said to people, and they, they said, well, you know, have you, do you understand you know, what the last lecture was about? I go, no, I really don't get it. And they go, did you read the book? And they go, yeah, but I'm not sure I really understood it. And it made me sound like I couldn't read. And so I know I can read, but I just, that style of learning doesn't work for me. And I really struggled. And, I, and it's been you know, documented in earlier podcasts about kind of the, the struggles that I had there at university. And then I got to professional exams and my tutors went back to the style of, um, I'll show you how to do a tax calculation. Now you calculate income tax. I'll do it twice and I absolutely nailed it. So I loved learning in that kind of professional learning environment for my accountancy exams because the style was back to, I'll show you how to do it. You do it once, you do it twice, then you know it. So my own learning journey is very much kind of like that. And then when I became a tutor, um, I had to go back to books and say, well, I've got to deliver this. No one else is there teaching me how to teach. I've got to work it out myself. And I, I actually developed a way of reading that helped me to learn. And my method was that I would have a book and I'd have a piece of paper alongside me. And I used to draw pictures and diagrams. So if I could take a block of text and I could draw a picture of two people interacting with each other and I draw arrows between them to explain what was going on, I could actually take a block of text and I could learn it because I'd convert it into this different language that I understood. So for me, that's kind of my styles of learning are that I can learn if someone shows me and I'm allowed to demonstrate it. I'm rubbish at learning when it comes to just reading a book but I'm quite good at learning when it comes to drawing pictures and things like that. So that, that's my kind of, I guess, my voyage of discovery when it comes to, to learning styles. Now, I know that, that you've done a lot more research than I have been, and you can probably tell me with your kind of like psychologist hat, hat on um, what kind of styles I'm demonstrating. I find that fascinating, Dave, the fact that you started by saying some things have worked for you, some things haven't. And something I hear a lot from students is they're putting in time. Study takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? You are making sacrifices. You're giving plenty of time. Nothing more frustrating than getting to the end of the week and thinking, well, I've done my study hours this week, but I don't feel like I've got the value. I've got the benefit from them. And so understanding some of the things that we might talk about tonight, maybe will give you a steer as to, right, it's not going to take you any longer to study but maybe you're going to get value from the time you are committing. You can start thinking about structuring study sessions and doing things in a way that's going to suit your learning style. Now, you're right. There's lots of psychology on this. There is lots of written papers and theses. 
I'm no professor when it comes to learning styles. Yeah, I have gone online like most people and I've done some research. I did find it very interesting. I actually, I think deep down, always wanted to be a teacher and I found my way into accountancy. Some of you might have gone back and listened to the podcast where I talked about my backstory a bit and how I almost found my way into accountancy unknowingly. But one of the things that I got the chance to do when I took the job with First Intuition coming up for 10 years ago now and started teaching accounting, something that I've been doing in the real world for many, many years, was actually go on some courses to learn a bit about teaching styles and teaching methodologies. And something I took away from that was as a tutor, I can't expect all of my students to learn in exactly the same way. It's not a one size fits all. And so when I'm planning lessons, when I am delivering classes, what I'm trying to do is make them as accessible for all of the group of students in front of me as I possibly can do. A word of warning. I don't think listening to this podcast, you're going to be able to go away with a magic wand and find an easy fix. Yeah, you've still got to commit to the study. You've still got to put into it everything that you can do. But I think you can be a bit clever and say, are there some things I'm doing that are wasting my time? Are there other things I could do to maybe engage myself and hopefully get the benefit from the learning hours that I'm putting in? It's not a one size fits all. And it's not necessarily that one of these in isolation will work. But I've been doing some research, as you say, and I found a really nice blog article that I'm going to talk through that talks about seven different learning styles. And Dave, maybe if we go through those seven together, we can share some insights. We can maybe say things that we have seen work, things that we have used in the classroom that unknowingly were actually playing to the strengths of some of these styles. So we've got seven to talk through. Shall we start at the beginning with number one? Um, if you've done some study in learning styles, you might have come up with a couple of theories and a couple of models, but by far the most common one I found when I've been searching for it online was something called VARK. V-A-R-K, which you might come across. If you are interested in this stuff and you want to do a test, go online and type in V-A-R-K test. And I'm sure your Google search will ping up loads of different online tests you can do. Answering questions that will try and give you a flavor of your particular learning style. Now, that might work for you. It might be that you just need to think about a combination of these. But traditionally for VARC, let's start with number one. The V in VARC is visual. Dave, you mentioned one of the things you do is draw stuff out for yourself. I presume you like that style. You like visualizing something, seeing something on a page or on a screen that will prompt your brain to hopefully start remembering it. Um, absolutely. When, when I, uh, I know when I teach things like inheritance tax, um, which is always about people giving gifts over a period of years, um, I, I always take a question and then convert it into a timeline. And on the timeline, I put a little picture of a person and say, this is the person, because that, that to me makes a really complex question far more simple because I can put it in that, that picture, that, that format of a picture I want to say pictorial but I don't think it's the right term there um you know and I'll also when I'm trying to explain something 
you know, I, I will, you know, if I'm trying to explain things like rollover relief for, for capital gains tax, I'll draw a picture of a building and someone moving out of that building and then moving into a bigger building because it, it to me it just clarifies what's going on so yeah I, i'm a huge fan of of kind of visuals and, and being able to see and it, for me it's all about pictures and things like that i'm not a huge fan of kind of other kind of visual aids like i'm not a big fan of flashcards and things like that because to me it's that's just reading and, and reading doesn't do it for me um, if you're the sort of person that likes those kind of visual aids, timelines are great, Dave. I use timelines a lot in class, teaching accruals and prepayments. Some people before we came on air were talking about financial reporting exams. So the year end and what happens after for post year end adjusting and non adjusting events, just drawing that up helps me visualize things. What I say to students is, are you the sort of person, think about this in the exam, when you're answering an exam question in your head, are you visualizing the page in your notes that you can go to? Yeah. Have you got not saying you've got a photographic memory, but have you got the sort of brain that is wired? <coughs> you see images in the back of your mind when you are looking at a question. You think back to a picture that you've seen in your notes. You've drawn something up that helps you visualize it. If you are, keep doing what you are doing start drawing pictures, condensing your notes. Mind maps are tools that visual learners like. So they can, on a blank sheet of paper, visualize how parts of the syllabus connect with each other and interconnect. So visual learning, the V of art, and our first one, we're gonna cover seven in this session, is a visualization. Are you the sort of person that likes to have your folder open on the page are you the sort of person that likes to watch as somebody draws up a little stick man and an illustration to make the, the learning come to life visually? And there's something that, um, that, that a colleague of ours, um, our, our colleague Gareth mentioned um, a while ago, is that you can sometimes understand or, or sometimes work out people's learning styles by the language that they use. And um, if, if, if you explain something to someone and they say, oh, I see, using the term I see is kind of giving you an indication that there are visual at the time and type of learning. As, you know, if you think about how people respond to I, I understand something, people might say, oh, I see what you mean. Or people might say things like, oh, I hear what you're saying. And by using those different terms can sometimes indicate that that's the way that they're learning and understanding, which I thought was really interesting. And it follows on very nicely to our second one. So we're initially talking about VARC and the A in VARC stands for auditory learning. Some people prefer the learning style of listening, listening to others explain stuff, whether you listen to the, the tutor talking through. Um, I did a test. I went online as I was coming back from work today on the train to get home to do the session and the podcast. And I did one of these quick question tests online to decide my learning style and it came back that I had answered questions that indicated I was on the auditory side of these different styles and I do I quite like listening to a podcast I will go on YouTube but quite often not watch the screen just put my headphones in and listen to someone explain it Dave what's your experiences of auditory learning I so if, if I'm in a in a lesson and someone's teaching me um, and they 
explain something to me about a, a concept or an idea, I probably won't take it in. Um, I, I will struggle. If someone tells me a story, I will remember that story forever. So I love people kind of telling me stories. So I'm really interested in stories. Likewise with things like podcasts, um, I, I, I can listen to podcasts, but I have to really focus on them to, to learn them and understand them. And I think I've said before that um, I, I will take a podcast out on a run with me because then it's me, it's running and it's listening and I can listen to it and understand. But if I try and sit down on a sofa and listen to something, I'll just get distracted. So I have to really focus and it, it has to interest me with a story. And I, as I've mentioned before, you know, I love stories. I like hearing people's stories. I love autobiographies and things like that. That's what I love to listen to. And that's what I can really remember. But if someone just tells me about economic theory via, you know, by, by trying to tell me what's going on, chances are I'm not going to take it in. As I said, when I did the test, I came back as an auditory learner. And thinking back, I vividly remember when I was at school and college, I would record myself talking through my notes just so I could listen back to it. Partly, I think it was a good way of finding study time. I could listen while I was driving, couldn't read, couldn't really visualise pictures when I was driving. But on a, a drive to work, I could listen back. So it was one that played to the, the time management strengths as well. So if you're the sort of person that likes listening, why don't you start recording yourself some voice notes? It's very easy to do now on a smartphone, isn't it? Record yourself some voice notes that you can play back, play back on a loop, play back on a cycle. Going back to my exam experience, I said for number one, visual, are you the sort of person in an exam that can visualise the page in your notes that you needed to answer that question? I guess from an auditory perspective, and I certainly would be on this one, in the exam, I would want to hear myself I would, or my tutor or a voice in my head speaking to me so I could kind of effectively listen and I could recall what I'd heard and use that to hopefully answer a question. So number two is auditory can also be the tone of people's voices, that the tone, the style that they use that you are listening out for. Third one is, um, if we're going through that, the R stands for reading and writing. So are you the sort of person that can read your notes and take it in? Um, Dave was saying no. And I know I have a lot of students that say this to me, Ben, Literally, I've spent 30 minutes reading that chapter and I shouldn't have bothered because I couldn't even tell you what the first couple of sentences were about by the time I got to the end. But it does work for some people. Um, if you're not a reader, the other part of this one is writing. Are you the sort of person that likes to rewrite your notes? Um, almost like doing lines at school as a punishment. But some people do learn just by repetition, just writing it back out and out and out. Um, What's your experience of reading and writing? You're shaking your head, Dave. I can see you on the webcam. It, it, so. it doesn't work for me at all. It's uh, yeah. I, I I can read for entertainment and take things in. I can't read to learn. Um, and if, if you ever see me taking notes, um, if I'm in a meeting or if I'm at a seminar, I will probably write three really neat sentences at the top of the page, and then suddenly I'm drawing a picture of a man in a car. 
and you know I, and when I come out of that meeting and I look back at my notes I'll read the first three sentences go I really don't know why I wrote those down but I know why I wrote about the man in the car because it's a new rule about benefits in kinds and cars and emissions and that's how I remember it so it's yeah it, it, it doesn't work for me and I'm so envious of people that can pick up a textbook read through it and just say oh yeah I've got that because I don't know how they do it because my brain just isn't wired to do that an extension of the reading and writing are things like mnemonics. You'll see them occasionally in our study notes. Now, I've never loved those. Um, a few people before we came on air were talking about financial reporting exams. And I can tell you for an intangible asset, the mnemonic is pirate, pirate criteria. But I'm not the sort of person that wants to learn pirate to learn what the P stands for, what the I stands for, what the R stands for and so on. But that works for some people. If it works for you, brilliant. Try and come up with the mnemonics. Try and remember it through the series of words, through reading it and through rewriting it. So number three is reading and writing. And as we say, these won't work for everybody. But if you're lucky enough that they do, brilliant. The fourth one, I find the fourth one really interesting, actually. So we've talked about VARC. The K in VARC stands for kinesthetic learning or more physical learning, um, potentially quite hard for accountancy students. It's not a physical activity, but I would extend it a bit and say you can learn through doing, being more practical, actually rolling your sleeves up, getting your calculator out and typing the numbers. Are you the sort of person when you're watching the online lectures or you're listening to your tutor in class, that you're actually working ahead, you're doing the calculations with them, you're typing it through on your calculator. That shows you're the sort of person that learns when you are doing stuff. You need to be physically active to be taking it in. Dave, from what you were saying and, and knowing you a bit, I would say there's a, a physical element that you would need with, with some learning. You're going to get quite bored, I would imagine, knowing you if you're just sitting there listening or visualising. Yeah, I, I, I always want to, I always want to try the thing that someone's teaching me because I know that if I can try it and do it a couple of times, I'll understand it far better than someone just tells me about it. But uh, thinking back to today and um, when we were um, earlier describing or when people asked us kind of before we recorded about um, kind of the, the economy and the things that are happening in terms of exchange rates and things like that. And um, one of my teams today um, asked me about hedge funds and how, why hedge funds do the things that they do. And they were asking me about short selling and why hedge funds short sell things. And I found myself kind of getting up, standing up. And I, I was like walking across the room with my hands pointing in different directions to try and demonstrate why a hedge fund would want to short something. Uh, and that's my way of kind of explaining something. And, and, and that kind of shows that's my way that I understand it is through being able to visualize and picture something happening. And if you've ever seen me, but you may not have done, seen me on, a, on, on phone calls to students where students are, you know, have got a problem with an area and they want to go through something with me. I will quite frequently just like be talking on the phone and then just stand up and start walking around the room and I'll be making hand gestures, even though they can't see it, but because it, it helps me to really order the things that I'm saying and it paints a picture for me so I can actually give a more coherent answer. So I completely understand that kind of that whole action as part of the learning process. But I think you do the same, don't you, Ben? You, you love to leap around and make hand gestures and like do the little YMCA dance. 
I am quite physical. When I'm teaching, I am walking up and down. I can't teach sitting down. And I don't think I can learn for too long sitting down. I would be the sort of student that gets a bit fidgety in the classroom, would need to stand up. If that's you, you need to acknowledge that. You need to find a way that you can study, but keep yourself physically active. I would constantly be tapping my foot under the desk just to kind of have some outlet for that energy that's bubbling away. Um, we do lots of lecture examples in our notes. It's one of the reasons why we like to try and break up our study notes so students get a chance to very quickly do a task, do a lecture example, do the consolidation, calculate the variance for yourself. And even if you're getting it wrong, the act of physically doing it will be a learning exercise. You'll be learning by your mistakes whilst you are doing it. So we've covered four so far, and they are the traditional four. If you go online, if you do any reading into this, I'm sure you will find lots of references to VARC, visual, auditory, reading and writing, and kinesthetic, the more physical side of learning. But I promised you seven. And so we're going to now expand that with a further three. You're going to like number five, Dave. I think this will play to our strengths, a particular trait of accountants. The fifth one is logical learning. Now, we don't like people to just learn the process without understanding the reasons why. But if you're really struggling to master something, if you can break it down into a series of steps, and learn a nice logical structure. I'm sure, Dave, you have taught lots of people over the years a way to learn a formula, the way to learn a step pattern to doing something. In tax, the way you learn a pro forma to lay it out in a series of stages. That's very logical, and I think actually suits a lot of our finance accountancy students. I, I agree. It's something that when, when I teach mathematical kind of ideas and some people might have seen that, that some of the um the maths clubs that i ran kind of a couple of years ago that I, I don't know if they are on youtube or not but i i went through the maths that we need to understand as accountants and the thing that i always try and do is i, I hate giving someone a formula and saying here's a formula put the numbers in because people that are good at maths can do it but people that aren't good at maths and don't you know traditionally have not got on with maths really struggle with the idea of what a formula does so i just like to break it down into steps of right this is the bit we're going to do first and we're really doing the first bit of the formula but i'm not saying that i'm just saying logically this is what we're doing and so things like if you remember things like in costing you've got that formula for total costs being the variable costs and the fixed bit well i split it up and said well let's look at the fixed bit first just deal with that let's do the variable bit next let's deal with that and then we've got a total cost which is just this bit plus this bit now, all I've done is I've gone through the formula, but I break it down into logical steps. Let's look at this part first, then this part, then let's bring everything together. So, yeah, I, I try and use that as much as I possibly can to try and break down something that's quite complex into quite simple things. And something that I, I read kind of uh, alongside the idea of uh, kind of it being about, about logic is you can also look at things like patterns in numbers that kind of appeals to that kind of learner as well so I, I don't know if you kind of use that at all in anything that you teach in terms of looking at a set of data and saying well is there a pattern in there and kind of trying to almost derive learning from that I know that I, I do it with things like ratio analysis if you look at five years worth of numbers and if someone's got that mindset where they can look at it and say I can see a pattern and they're growing over time 
It's like, well, brilliant. You've understood that they're growing over time. You know, which numbers are growing over time? Well, the revenue numbers growing over time. And suddenly people are starting to understand the idea of growth coming from revenue and how that filters through to profits, which you don't understand, you know, maybe what the textbook tells you. You can sometimes pick that up by understanding and looking and seeing patterns. So it's something that I say, it suddenly struck me that I do that all the time. I'll look at a set of data and I've kind of got the mind that says that number's not right because it doesn't follow the patterns from all the rest of them, which I know as an auditor is a, a trait that you're supposed to have, but you know, I must have acquired it somehow as I'm not an auditor. It's a really good skill trait to have, actually, and particularly as students go through the professional qualifications towards the end, the higher level stuff, um, particularly in those written analysis questions where you're given some data and you need to then construct a what's happening and why. Those logical learners can identify which thing has moved the most chances are you want to talk about that one because it's going to be a big impact on the business which one is the biggest this year which one is the um the one that gives us the the, the biggest movement and those kind of focus points is a really good skill to have the students that just effectively talk about everything chances are they're going to run out of time and are not showing that higher level skill that we need in the world of finance of being a pick out the key headlines and so if your brain is wired to kind of look for trends look for the one that is the biggest look for the one that's moved the most that will give you a nice structure and a way that you can turn a blank page of numbers into a story and a really useful written analysis in the exam and in the real world for the businesses that you are working with and advising i would just like to pause with a word of warning I like logical steps. I like students knowing if we're calculating goodwill, we start with the consideration paid, then we work out the bit that we haven't bought, the non-controlling interest, then we deduct the net asset to acquisition, and then we look for impairment and going through a structure. The one reservation I have with it, and particularly as you move through the qualification, and it's why we quite often see quite a step for students if they've started at AAT level two, and then gone on to AAT level three, by the time you're at AAT four, or you're on to the, the level seven stuff, doing ACCA, ICAW, or SEMA, the examiners have cottoned on a bit. And they're thinking, we don't just want students that can go through a process knowing once I do that, I do this, I do this. And so the examiners sometimes reverse things out. They will give you other bits of information that mean if you know your stuff, you can still do it, but if you can't get step one, some students can't then do step two, three and four without that first start point. Have you experienced that, Dave, where students sometimes are, yep. are so routine that they just can't see? How do I start this question, Dave? Absolutely. And, and it, yeah, it, it's having that that step one, two, three, four, five. And if I'm not starting at one and I'm being asked to start at three, I don't know how to do it. Um, and it, it's, it is an issue with those kind of those kind of learning techniques sometimes and, and I you know I, I can understand that because it's kind of like we always teach people that when you do a tax calculation you start with um, your accounting profit and then you make some airbacks and some adjustments but sometimes questions might say well actually we're going to start halfway through this calculation and then it's like right okay I don't know what to do here because I'm not adding back expenses 
because they've already been done. So where do I start? So yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it can cause issues if people's minds aren't kind of attuned to that way of learning, which is why we need to appeal to a number of different learning styles and not just you know, a single learning style because I think everyone understands it the way that we do. Exactly right. But I would say that logical one is a really good place to start. If you can start there and get the structure, then you can develop your technique by maybe adapting to other styles as you go through your study, as you go into your revision. We've got two more. The next one, I think this is going to play right into your hands, Dave, that the next one of my seven is social learning style. Some people need other people to buzz off, to idea off, to share thoughts with, to listen to, to speak to. Um, we are predominantly classroom tutors. And one of the things I love is where actually other people in the room are helping each other to learn. We're on the live forum tonight and I love to see people sharing ideas, that kind of social aspect to your learning. Um, what's your thoughts on, on social learning, learning with other people around you? So I'm going to surprise you, Ben, because I, I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, I, 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 I'll clarify a little bit, but um, I, I, I work quite well if I'm studying with a small number of people. So if I'm actually studying and trying to learn something and I've got two or three people with me, I learn quite well in that science group. If I'm working collaboratively as a group of 10 people, I, I, I feel really uncomfortable in those positions. And, and I tend to, I, I either want to leave the group and if I'm trying to learn, that's not great because I don't know stuff or I tend to kind of like shrink away from it a little bit. So for me, you know, kind of if it's, if I look at social learning, I learn really well in a group of, you know, my perfect one is like two other people, you know, and I really, really like that, which is odd because as a teacher, I like teaching in front of a group of big people, you know, having a big class of people in front of you is, you know, it's something that I, I, I really, really enjoy doing, but I also really enjoy breaking that down. And I, I really like having in a class, even though it's say a class of 20, that one-to-one -one engagement you sometimes get with a, with a student that's got a particular question and you can really help them clarify. And I really enjoy doing it on that kind of basis. So um, yeah, I, I would say from a learning perspective, not necessarily from a teaching perspective, small groups work well for me, but, but big groups not so much. I think probably then, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, when you and I try and collaborate, collaborate and get together and try and learn things from each other, I, I tend to make it that actually, Ben, should you and I meet and get together? I never organise big meetings of 20 people to get together and learn something because I just don't get on particularly well in those kind of environments. I sometimes get dragged to them because other people like them. And it's like, OK, I need to be part of this because this is the way that someone else wants to organise it. But I would almost always organize something if I'm trying to learn it to be between say me and two other people because that's the perfect size for me but I'm guessing you're a bit different Ben you like bigger groups I, I like I like noise I couldn't learn just sitting on my own in a silent environment I would get actually really frustrated with that the way my brain works I need some background noise I don't like being on my own in silence I would actually find that quite distracting, which sounds weird, doesn't it? Mm. Um, other people say that would be really distracting. When I was studying as a student, I would quite often take myself away from home and go and sit and work in a public library just so there were other people around me. Whether or not they were even studying what I was studying, 
I just liked having some social interaction. I would like to go and, and buy a cup of coffee from someone and have a chat while I was studying and thinking things through. Um, I like that social stuff. Really interesting from what you said about doing it in smaller groups. And, and now you've said that, I can see that's exactly you, Dave. Yeah, you're really good when we've got one, two, three people together that you're kind of buzzing ideas off. Any bigger than that, it kind of gets lost a bit. The other way to think about social learning is your ability to chat things over with somebody else. Now, I know not everybody's lucky enough to be studying with a group of other students. If you're not, try and check out some free sessions or free revision sessions, just give you a chance to be there with other students and share ideas. But if nothing else, try and find somebody at home, a friend, a family member that you can just have a chat with. Even if they are not studying it, you can explain it to them. That's still social learning. And it comes from something that I think is deep in my core, wanting to kind of chat to people, explain things and, and talk it through with somebody else. So social learning. The last one, polar opposite. My absolute dreaded scenario. Our final seventh learning style is solitary learning, learning on your own. But I know for as many people like me that say I need the social aspect, the noise that the people around me, there would be as many people that would say I need to just sit down on my own. I need to read it for myself. I need to look at it for myself. I need to work through it for myself. I don't want the distraction of other people, people sitting quietly. I've been in class today where a group have been doing a question and some of them put headphones on these days. They're not doing it because I'm a boring tutor. I hope they're doing it because they want to cancel out all of the background noise and just be very much them with their own thoughts as they are learning. Dave, what, what's your experience of, of solitary learners? The, the thing that I would kind of just say here, now, as you started mentioning it, I thought, um, actually, you know, solitary silence, working on your own, that's where sometimes I'm most effective. And but the mistake I've made there is I've looked at that's sometimes where I'm most effective if I'm trying to be productive at doing something, not how I learn best. So if you said, Dave, you've got a deadline, you've got to produce a report, you know, for next Monday, I'm going to be on my own, silence, no one around me because I've got a deadline to make and I've got to do it and I've got this task to do. But that's not learning. That's me being productive in the workplace. Now, if you put me in the same scenario, you know, with, you know, with a book, uh, then you know, I, I'm not going to learn as effectively. And you know, I, I think there's also that, that kind of cross section, isn't there, of you know, I, I, if you're learning in, in isolation on your own, but you're drawing loads of pictures, then, you know, you're mixing some of those things together. Um, so I, I personally don't feel that I learn that well. It, it, uh, I'm not going to say it's, it's definitely without merit because I know that when I when I first started training to be a teacher, a lot of my learning happened on my own because only you can, you know, work out how it is you're going to deliver things and in your using your authentic voice. A lot of that was in silence. A lot of that was on my own. A lot of it was in the middle of the night when everyone else in my house was asleep. Um, but I was drawing pictures and timelines and you know doing all those other things that you know, and I was walking up and down and uh, I was talking to myself about how I was going to present things so uh, I you know I don't think it would be my go-to choice I don't think it's necessarily where I'm most effective 
Um, but I do think you could mix that with other kind of styles to, to make a kind of a kaleidoscope of styles that work for you. And I think that's the real secret. I don't think you could just pigeonhole yourself into one of these and say, that's going to fix it. All of my study sessions from now on are going to be me sitting there on my own reading. I think students need to find a blend. But I think you also need to experiment a bit with doing that and try different things, see what works, what doesn't, mix it up a bit. It might make the study more interesting. You might find that even the different styles fit better to different points of time. Your initial study, you do reading, then you go on to doing, then you go on to listening to somebody else, for example. Try mixing it up a bit. You might find over the course of a week or different times of the day, maybe you're the sort of person that can listen to things late at night, but in the morning you've got energy, you want to be doing it. So plan your study. When you're doing your study plan, structure it a bit. Don't just write, I'm going to do an hour study session on a Thursday night. Say next Thursday, I'm going to do an hour and I am going to read and rewrite my notes if that's what works for you or I am going to listen to the lecture for chapter seven in my notes or I'm going to do task eight from the, the task bank try and plan structure it's what we do in the classroom as tutors we write study plans that try and mix it up as much as possible to vary the content to vary the style to engage the class to try and make sure everybody during the course of a day is getting something that is working for them by way of learning style um, as always, we've got a minute left, Dave. The, the, the time ticks through, doesn't it, when we are doing these Wednesday night sessions. Any final thoughts from you? I, I agree with you that the, the, the key is to find that blend of learning styles that works for you. Um, and I think it's also worth just being honest as to is the learning style working for you or are you doing it because it feels comfortable? And for me, Sitting and reading a book for an hour made me feel like I was being productive. If you ask me at the end of it, what had I learned? Nothing. So was it a good learning style for me? Then if I'm honest, no. But if I go back in time and ask my that kind of my 19-year-old self coming out of the university library, you know, how did you get on today? They'd probably say, Oh, yeah, yeah, really productive today. I've done loads of work. Okay, when the reality is I hadn't really learned very much. So I think, yeah, being honest about what works for you and yeah, experimenting with things. So, you know, I, I have been to, um, to kind of seminars where people have talked about learning styles from other, in other ways. And, you know, they've talked about how um, things like your sense of smell is something you can use to help you learn. And your sense of taste and sounds and all of those kinds of things can help to trigger learning, which is all really, really interesting. So it is worth just kind of playing with the ways that you study to find the method that works for you. Brilliant. Well, that's a, a nice way to close and sum up this evening. Good luck on the back of listening to this when you're planning your next study session. I hope you continue to put in the time and you get the value from the study time that you are committing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. For the guys that joined us live this evening, thank you for coming along again. It's lovely to see the comments in the chat box. If you'd like to join a future live show, there will be a link for podcast listeners to come along on a Wednesday if you're free, six till seven, to actually see the Ben and Dave session live. But if not, continue to download, continue to share the links with your friends and colleagues. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you again on another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum podcast. Bye.